0: It is good to be in the house of the Lord this morning, amen? amen? The first Sunday of 2015. We made it, y'all. We made it. Yeah, yeah. It's good to be here. Matthew chapter 25. I want to tell you that next week, um, bring a friend. Uh Richard's going to launch into our new series through the Ten Commandments, and you do not want to miss this, so be sure that you're here next week and the following weeks and make sure you bring somebody to tag along. Bring a neighbor, bring a co-worker, uh, bring somebody with you. Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. This is the word of the Lord. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep Depart from me you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels for I was hungry and you gave me no food I was thirsty and you gave me no drink I was a stranger and you did not welcome me naked and you did not clothe me sick and in prison and you did not visit me. into eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen. So, I've had tons of jobs in my lifetime. When I was 12 years old, one of my first jobs, is my brother and I would go around our neighborhood in St. Louis City and we would collect cans. And so you you just got to imagine there's alleyways all throughout our neighborhood. There's these huge uh, metal dumpsters with plastic tops. And we would find us a cart, a shopping cart, and we would push that thing all around the neighborhood collecting cans. This was our way to earn money, just as young boys. So, of course, uh, I was the smaller of the two, and y'all don't think I'm gross, but my brother would lean down, and I would put my foot in into his hands, and I'd jump into a dumpster, and I'd be collecting cans. And he'd be like, oh, what about that one? You get that one too. So he's directing me this whole time. This is my first job. Our job was to collect cans. I remember working at Snooks, which would be the equivalent to Kroger here. I was a bagger there in St. Louis, and uh, my job was to bag people's groceries and you wouldn't believe how picky some people can be about their groceries. My goodness, you know, some folks would bring in little old ladies, cute old ladies would bring in their own bags, and I need you to double that. Put two paper and one plastic on the. I'm like, lady, come on, seriously? But here I am bagging groceries on top of groceries and. Pulling in, in rain, sleet, and snow, these carts by the droves, more carts than I could ever uh, begin to care to do. Pushing in these carts. I remember when I was in high school, I worked at a gas station. I worked at a BP near my high school. I had the 3 to 11 shift. And my job was to keep the lot clear and to stop the shelves and to run the cash register. And some crazy people come in the gas station. Uh, I just, just take it, just take my, my witness. I'll, I'll just tell you. Some crazy people come into the gas station. Uh, but my most favorite job, um, was working at Auntie Ann's Pretzels. Yes, I worked at Auntie Ann's Pretzels for several years. And I got to tell you that there were consecutive months that I got employee of the month. I'm just, I just got to tell you that. So I could whip some pretzels into shape. Yes, I could make some of that good uh freshly squeezed lemonade. Um, I washed, you wouldn't imagine how many dishes they have in that little small place. It's a little corner and they got a million dishes Every night I'd be closing washing dishes and washing dish after dish. And I think that's really why they gave me Employee of the Month, because nobody else wanted to wash dishes, and they put me on washing dishes. But get this, every job that I've ever had had a job description. Every job that, that I've ever had gave me, in the job description, the purpose of my work. And it detailed The responsibilities of what I should do. And when we come to Matthew chapter 25, that's what we see, folks. We see, we get a glimpse of the job description of every believer. And I want to tell you that when Jesus gave His blood on our behalf, and He was put in a tomb, and He rose again from the grave, He left us with some marching orders He gave us a job description. And what we get to glimpse, what we get a glimpse of in Matthew 25 is just that. It doesn't matter if you work in a factory, it doesn't matter if you work in an office, it doesn't matter where you work, even if you work on the streets, you have a purpose in your work. We're going to dive into three main ideas this morning. We'll see that every believer has a place to call home. We'll see that. Every believer has a purpose. And lastly, we'll see that every believer has assurance of salvation. But before we go to work, let's pray together. Father, would you just be with us during this time together? Father, I pray that you would speak to us during this time. Lord, I pray that you would eliminate distractions Even if that may be crying babies, I pray, Father, that you would eliminate distractions. May you quiet our hearts. Would you give us attentive minds to hear what you would have to say to us. Lord, I pray that you would move me out of the way. I pray that you would speak to us clearly, God. Would you have your way in this time? I pray you would challenge us. Would you convict us? Would you move us to change and in the right direction. Father, we trust that you will do only what you can do, and that is tether our hearts deeper to you. We need you this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So directly, uh, but thank you for that amen. I appreciate that. Um, Directly before our passage, Jesus gives the parable of the talents. And Jesus praises the one who has... Wisely using what's been given to him and he curses the one who didn't wisely use what's been given to him And in essence the message there is to be a good steward of what has been given to you What jesus does in our passage is he gives a more detailed account of our responsibility Jesus gives us this picture this crazy picture of judgment Jesus says that the day will come when he will separate the sheep from the goats. And you have to understand that in antiquity, the people will know exactly, they would know exactly what Jesus was talking about when he's speaking of separating the sheep from the goats. In antiquity, the the sheep and the goats, they grazed together on one field. Um, But scholars believe that goats were more sensitive to cold weather so the shepherd, when, at, when night fell, the shepherd would take the goats and he would gather them together and he would push the goats inside where it was warm. And they would clearly understand what Jesus was talking about. So the sheep would be on Jesus' right and the goats on his left. He would say, come to the sheep on his right and go away from me to the goats on his left. i got to tell you what this passage um, in a scary way, it rocked me as i 'm studying it. It reminds me that God is a God of judgment, and that one day he will return to judge each of us and I love this because nobody gets out of it it doesn 't matter what kind of family we 're from it. It doesn't matter if we live in the projects or if we we live in an expensive condo downtown. All of us, He will come back and judge all nations. Nobody gets out of this. This shows us that one day each of us will stand and account for everything that we've ever done. This tells us that life really does have meaning. This tells us that we will not just be annihilated, that one day when it's all said and done, that we don't just poof and and, and disappear, that life matters, that, that our lives matters, that how we live our lives matters, because one day Jesus will come back and He will judge each of us. Our passage points to the reality that there is a sovereign judge and jury and he will reign and his name is jesus but first we've got to see that every believer has a place to call home look at verse 33 through 34 with me says this and he will place the sheep on his right but the goats on his left then the king will say to those on his right come you who are blessed by my father inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of of the world. For those that have their faith in Christ, there is a kingdom that awaits. Believers in Jesus are not just aimlessly roaming around, but you have a final destination and that destination is the kingdom of heaven. The idea behind the kingdom is not just a place, but it points us to royal reign. It points us to royal rule. You will reign with God. I love this because even before we get to the idea of being hungry and feeding and being thirsty and giving something to drink to those that are thirsty, even before we get to doing, God points us to this reality that this kingdom was inherited and it was prepared for you and I from the foundation of the world. I love this. The fact that the kingdom is inherited means that you and I could do nothing to earn it. The fact that this kingdom was inherited means we sit there and by faith we receive, not by any good works of our own. You and I can't get the glory for this inheritance. It's something that we did not earn. Not only was it inherited, but it was prepared for you and I from the foundation of the world. If this kingdom was already prepared before I was born, this has to mean that I cannot earn it. I I cannot wrong my way out of it, and I cannot do good my way into it. This this isn't something that, that, that I can work harder or or read more, or do better. This is something that is inherited by God. And that clears us. That, that lets us know that it doesn't matter where we come from. That lets us know that we cannot earn. We cannot do good. No good is good enough. It tells us that the kingdom is not earned. Paul says, This to the Galatians. He says, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So that we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Ephesians 2 points to the same thing. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. In both cases, Paul says, faith is what makes us acceptable to God. Faith, trust, believing in God's work, believing that He has done what He says He has done and that He is who He says He is. It means we can't do good enough to earn our way or to make ourselves acceptable to God. Some of the most beautiful words in all of Scripture we find right here in our text. Look at this with me. It says, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom. Those are some of the most beautiful words in all of Scripture because God through our faith in Jesus can look at us, the wretched people that we are, the sinful people that we are. And Romans over and over again tells us that none of us seek after righteousness, and that none of us are righteous, not even one. Over and over we see that we are broken and God looks at us and He says, Come, inherit the kingdom. Come. Come. Inherit the kingdom. Isn't that beautiful? That God would say to you and I, as messed up as we are, through our faith in Jesus, come, inherit the kingdom. Come, inherit the the reign and the rule of God with me. Some of the most beautiful words it says Jesus is essentially saying you are a stranger, you are an alien, you are. You were far off, but now you have been brought near as a son and daughter by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. You have been brought near even when you did not deserve it. I remember um, just being in school. And you know, school days are long. You got these seven-hour days being in class and Uh, When I was in school, I had to take a bus in the early days to school. And you get up really early the crack of dawn. And then you maybe you go to gym class or maybe you go to, to library or wherever you go. You sit through all of these classes. You endure this long day. You get back on the bus and you head back home. You walk from the bus stop and then you walk in the house. You are home. You're home. And what's the first thing a person does, a kid does, when they get in the house? What do you do when you come home from school? The first thing you do is you go to the refrigerator. (laughs) That's how you know it's home. If you go to somebody else's house, you probably just sit on the couch and you watch some TV. But if you are home, you go to the refrigerator and you find something to eat right away. Because it's home. It's home. And that's what's happening here. What we see in this text is Jesus points to a home that we can experience. He says, come and inherit the kingdom of heaven. There is a home for us. We have a home through faith in Jesus Christ. We are no longer strangers. We are no longer aliens. But through our faith, Christ has made a home for us in heaven. And we get to inherit that that home, even as messed up as we are. Not only does every believer have a place to call home, but every believer has a purpose. This is huge. Verse 35 says this. Jesus says, I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you, you came to me. Then the righteous will say, when when do we do all of these things for you? Then look at verse 40. Look at verse 40. Jesus says, and the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then Jesus says of those on his left, depart from me. You cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, I was thirsty, I was a stranger, I was naked, and I was sick and in prison, and you did nothing. You might be asking, what is my calling in 2015? What what is my purpose? What am I here for? I would point to this, and I would say, here is your calling. Here here is your purpose, your God-given purpose Here's your challenge. Our challenge is to do the known will of God until God reveals the unknown. What is the known will of God? Here it is. That you would be a lover of the stranger. That, that you would visit those in prison. That, that, that you would go seek the welfare of the less fortunate. That's what God has called every believer to do and and I want to tell you that it is not just my job or Richard's job as pastors it's your job this is your responsibility this is the responsibility of every believer you may say I don't have time in my schedule I don't think God asked you if you had time in your schedule I just don't think he said, you know, well, you you pull out your calendar, and if you ever get around to it, I want you to love on those less fortunate. I want want you to love on the marginalized if, if you ever get around to it. And one of the reasons I love this is, yes, the Bible is speaking to the poor, but here in our Western culture, everybody has something to give. I don't care where you live. I don't care how little you have. Everybody has something to give. This is not just to the wealthy, but this is to folk who who ain't got a dime in their pocket. He says, even to you, go love those who are less fortunate than you ha- than you are. This is to all of us. This is to every believer in Jesus Christ. When you think of the least of these. Think the least valuable. Think the insignificant. Think those lacking status. Concern for those that lack status ought to be second nature to the follower of Jesus Christ. This is, in fact, the job description of every follower of Jesus. You know, this is what Jesus did for you and I. Jesus came to the insignificant. Jesus carved out time for those who didn't deserve it Jesus came to those who could offer him nothing in return he came and you know he didn't just come but he laid down his life what are you saying Chris I'm saying the call to every believer in Jesus Christ is a call to lay down your life that's your job You want to know what your purpose is? You want to know what your calling is? Your calling in 2015 and beyond is to lay your life down for the sake of the marginalized. That's your job. Your job is to lay your life down for the insignificant. Your job is to lay your life down for those that are lacking status. Your job is to lay it down. And I want to tell you this morning, if the Savior of the world could lay His life down, how much more can we? If the Savior of the universe could come in the form of a man and seek the welfare of people who could give Him nothing back, how much more ought we lay our lives down for those who could give us nothing in return? When we understand that our job Isn't to have the biggest church in the city. When we understand that our job is not to be well known. When we get this church downtown. When we get the reality that God hasn't called us to be in the lights. Or on big billboards. But he's called us to lay our life down. That's when our city will change. That's when we will see real restoration and real renewal happening in Memphis, Tennessee, when the church of Jesus Christ understands its role to lay down their lives. And I think the problem so often is we long to pick up our lives and, as opposed to laying them down. We, we want to be known. We we want to succeed. And we... we We pursue materialism and wealth. We we do it over and over again. When Jesus says, my call to you is to use everything you have, every fiber of your intellect, all of your time, all of your ability to gain wealth, to, to lay it down on my behalf. And what Jesus is not saying is, he's not saying, Give everything you have away and be broke. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. I think Jesus is saying, take all that you have and invest it for the sake of the kingdom. Take all that you have, all of your energy, all of your resources and submit it to the will of God. Be a good steward of all that I have given you. We are to engage the least of these out of gratitude and not out of obligation. If you are the kind of person in which you feel obligated to to, to go and to serve and to, to so help those people, you need to keep it. If you are the kind of person where you feel obligated. There's, there's something that's pulling you because you just have to and you'll just get it done and, and check a box. That is not what Jesus is asking for here. Jesus is saying out of gratitude for what He has done for us that we freely give of our time, that we freely give of our talents, that we freely give of our resources. That we lay our lives down out of gratitude. Because we understand that there is no possible way that we can outgive God. He's given us far too much. He's done far too much for us. And the least we can do is serve the least of these. It's the least we can do. Out of gratitude. See, for the believer, it's the heart that matters. When your heart has been made new, the fruit of your faith ought to look like helping the marginalized. When your heart has been made new, the fruit of the one that you believe in ought to look like you helping those that have no status doesn't matter what your tax bracket is the fruit of your faith in Jesus ought to look like you doing ministry for those in our city that would be considered as the least of these what what would happen if the police just stopped patrolling <laughs> chaos would ensue what would happen if Waste management just stopped picking up our trash. Chaos would ensue. And you know what's interesting to me? That the police fully understand that there will always be crime. You you know what's interesting? That the trash continues to come day after day. And trash men just... They just have job security because we always will be making more trash. But yet they still work for the good of their job. And the reality is what we see in Scripture is the poor you will always have with you and yet we are still called to serve the marginalized and the poor. How could this be? Could it be that the intent is, yes, to help the poor with tangible needs, but could it be that God's intent is to transform you and I to be more like Jesus? Could it be that the reality that the poor will never be depleted, and yet we are still called to engage the marginalized and those with no status in our city, could it be That the change is supposed to happen more in us than in them. Could it be that God wants to shape and mold and transform us to look and to smell like Jesus in Memphis, Tennessee? Could it be that that's God's intent for us? I would dare to say yes it is. That God's hope for downtown church, little old us in Memphis, Tennessee, is that we would Smell like Jesus. That we would look like Jesus. That we would be transformed to the image of Christ. And I dare say if you and I would submit and be obedient to God's transforming process, we can change this city. We can, we can see some real change happen in this city. We can see some real transformation Happen in this city. If we will be obedient to the word of God. And we will be obedient to his manipulation of his plan. If we will say yes to him. I would dare say that God's ultimate plan. Is to change you. And when we understand that. It eliminates this paternalistic kind of mindset. When it comes to this when it comes to this stuff. <sighs> Lastly, want, want us to see that every believer has an assurance of salvation. Look at verse 31. Again, it says this, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Did you catch that? When... The Son of Man comes. Not if the Son of Man comes, but when the Son of Man comes. And what Matthew's Gospel is teaching us here, get this, the Son of Man is coming. That there is going to come a day, the next greatest moment in history will be the return of Jesus Christ. And we see the reality that the Son of Man will come, and if the Son of Man will come, and He will, this tells us that our salvation is sure. Now look down at verse 46. It says this, And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Every believer can be sure of salvation because Jesus will return and there is a for sure eternal life. there is a for sure living forever with Jesus if your faith is in him. listen to acts seventeen thirty one says this because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed being Jesus, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Do you see that? One of the reasons we can be sure of our salvation is the resurrection of Jesus. The reality that Jesus rose from the the grave tells us that we can be sure that he will claim those that belong to him. And I want to tell you this morning that one of the things we learn here is not only Will Jesus come? And not only do we have eternal life, but God finishes what He starts. He came in the form of a man. He died a brutal and a gruesome death. He was put in a borrowed tomb and He rose again on the third day to declare to all the world that I will finish what I start. I will not leave anything undone. And that can assure us, even when we have moments in which we are doubting our salvation, that God will finish what He started. That there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God, not even ourselves. That He will finish what He starts that he will finish what he starts. I love this. Because what Jesus shows us here is that we all have a, a job to do. And Jesus doesn't let any of us get out of it. And so it's been said that what's everybody's responsibility is nobody's responsibility. And I love Matthew chapter 25 because as we launch into this new year, we need to know that this is all of of our responsibility. It's yours. And you ought to feel the burden, the weight on your shoulders to move and, and to engage the marginalized and those that are the least of these in our city. And I I think of the Great Commission. Jesus says to His disciples, go make disciples of all nations, baptize them, do all of this stuff. And at the very end He says, I will be with you, even to the ends of the age. And so though you and I may have questions and we may be trying to figure out God, how is all of this possible? I don't have the knowledge to be obedient and to do all that you have called me to do. Jesus says, I will be with you. You are not alone. I will be with you. He calls us to understand our assurance. He calls us to understand our purpose. And he tells us that we have work to do. Let's pray together. Father, thank You that You have clearly shown us Your purpose for us. And Lord, I pray that You would help us to be obedient. Help us, God, to be faithful to what You've called us to do. And Lord, help us to trust You even in unforeseen circumstances. Lord, I just pray over our church that you would send us out in Memphis, Tennessee to go to work to be salt and to be light in in the dark places and the dark crevices of our city. God, would you give us a deep boldness for your cause and for your glory? Father, would you give us the strength to put down our personal comforts and would you give us the desire to lay down our lives for Your good and for Your glory. Help us to seek the peace and the welfare of this city. And we trust that You will encourage us to do what only You can do. In Jesus' name, Amen.